Hello and welcome to the Veg Grower Podcast. My name is Richard and I am on a mission to grow my fruit, vegetables and herbs in my allotment and my garden. Now coming up this week, we have actually been protecting the garden from the drop in temperature that we have experienced this week. I also share my thoughts on the arguments about sowing seeds in January and I head down to the allotment to remove a gooseberry bush. lot to unpack this week. So let's get into it and come meet me out in the garden. Well out in the garden and obviously the temperatures have really dropped over this last week and they're due to drop even colder for this next week. It's quite nice I have to say. One of the things I've had to make sure that I have to hand and I make sure I have this to hand every winter is just some fleece just so I can protect some of my crops, my Swiss chard, maybe even my onions, my garlic and my carrots just to give them a little bit of protection from this cold weather. Now to be fair at this time of year there's not much really growing in the beds anyway but I do find just having this fleece handy just offers a bit of protection and means we can keep our crops going for a little bit longer and I've got to say I'm quite pleased with what I do actually have growing in these beds. Now one thing I've also managed to do this week is build another Now I built a bed last weekend as you know and then we built another one this week too. These are one of our 112 centimetres by 80 centimetre beds and eventually we're going to have eight of these beds. I've now got three of these built. I'm basically building a couple each month due to budget constraints. I want to make sure that I don't spend more money on beds than what I have so each month when I get paid I just buy enough wood to build a couple of beds and it's working quite nicely I've got to say and by April we should get all the beds built that we want in this garden should really then start to come together and at that time that's about right for when we need to get our beds planted up just got to make sure we have got enough compost in time for that. Now, talking of compost, I actually had a question this week about a vermi composting or a wormery. Now, my wormery here at home, I absolutely love having a wormery. We fill it up with our kitchen waste. It produces compost and it produces a liquid feed. And the worms in there literally do go through a lot of the waste and reduces it down to this beautiful compost that we spread on our beds. Now the question that came in, the listener was saying that her worms don't seem to be munching through any of the waste material as fast as she was expecting. And at this time of year, of course, they will be much slower. They're very cold at the moment and they are much slower. But when the weather warms up, I expect that they will munch through all this food a lot quicker. Now, the listener did say that she had read that they eat up to half of their body weight a day. And I actually read it could be up to an entire body weight. Worms don't really weigh that much, though, when you think about it. And you need quite a few of them to go through what waste we have. Luckily, they do multiply at quite a rate. So once they are going, you end up with lots and lots of worms that all eat through the waste. But when it does get cold over the winter... 
it is a good idea to protect our wormery. I've spoken about fleece on our vegetable plants, but I've also wrapped my wormery in a bit of fleece, a bit of bubble wrap and a bit of duvet just to keep those worms a little bit warmer. It does make a big difference. It just means that the worms aren't likely to get killed by the cold. Now, in the natural environment, when they're in the ground, they, of course, would bury down into the ground to avoid the cold. And they can't do that in a wormery very well. So what they have to do, we, they rely on us. Some people actually move their wormery into a shed or garage over winter when it's cold. Where I am on this south coast, we don't get really cold temperatures. So I don't have to worry about it too much so protecting our worms protecting our plants is a must this week now one other thing that we have been doing i do have open fireplaces in my house and we have been of course burning some of the wood now this is a lot of the ivy that i've cut down in the past from here we've seasoned it we've dried it out and now we have started burning it but the wood ash that the fireplaces provide is a great source of potash. So I tend to add some of this ash to my beds as well. And I also add some to the compost bins as well, just to add a bit more nutrients to the soil. As I said, potash or potassium, it's great for flowering plants. And it's another source that we produce here at home that I can use in my garden. This was very popular, of course, during World War II, where everything was used to the best advantage and wood ash was one of those that they would add in quite plentiful supplies onto beds especially around tomatoes in order to try and improve the growing conditions for these plants now of course by burning this wood down it is also freeing up certain areas of my garden that are a little bit messy this ivy that we cut down a couple of years ago did take up quite a large amount of area and now it is going it's freeing up spaces i think one day we might have to get another log store here at home of course my log store has a water butt attached to it too and that is now full up of water as well Fortunately, this week, the water has frozen in these water butts, so I haven't been able to pump any of the water around like I would need to do. Hopefully, in the next few weeks, we can do that. That way, we just maximise the amount of water we have here at home. Right, I will meet you indoors because I am going to be talking about seed sowing at this time of year. In the meantime, let's find out what's been going on in the Supporters Club this week. Well, if you are enjoying this podcast so far, and I really hope you are, then please do rate and review on your podcast provider. Rating and reviewing only takes you a few seconds, but really helps get this podcast seen by more people who might also be interested in growing their own food. Now, this week, I actually had a really lovely review from Lynn on Spotify, who wrote that the info I shared on Plug Plant Trainers a few weeks ago was really really useful and this for me is really great feedback as I thought that is the type of information you want to hear so please do rate and review it only takes a few seconds but if you really do want to support this podcast then please consider becoming a member of our supporters club the supporters club was set up to help keep this podcast running and everybody that does sign up really does help me out to be a member, I do charge £5 a month, but for that, you get extra behind-the-scenes podcasts and a collection of seeds sent to your door 
each month that we sow that month as a club. Now this week we have sown fenugreek, a microgreen, also known as meti, and parsley, a very well-known fantastic herb. So if you would want to get involved in that, then head to the vegpodcast.co.uk to find out more and sign up. Well, here I am in my kitchen slash dining room. And in here, as you know, before Christmas, I set up my seed sewing station. This is a wooden shelf that I've attached grow lights and placed heated propagators on in order to start off a collection of my seeds. And this time of year, it's my sweet peppers, my chilies and my aubergines. Now, A lot of people will start sowing a lot of seeds at this time of year and other people will say it's far too early. There's always a lot of arguments that I see going on around this and the honest answer is that both of these sides of the arguments are true. What do I mean by that? Well, it all depends on what conditions you have. So, for example, yes, I've sown chilies, I've sown peppers, I've sown aubergines, all of which need long growing seasons. But I have found that by having heated propagators and the grow lights, I can actually grow these quite well. Because if they haven't got the heated propagators, they would be still a little bit too cold for them to germinate. Indoors, you will probably get away with it, but outdoors, it's far too cold for them to germinate. But unless you have got a good light coming in through your window, you really need grow lights. What happens is these seedlings become leggy where they try and stretch and reach the light as best as they possibly can. So by giving them a good source of light, it prevents them from being stretched and thin and very, very weak. Looking at all my seeds that we have got germinated, my seedlings, they are all looking really, really healthy. And in fact, my chilli seedlings that we sowed before Christmas, I've actually this week had to pot them up into a larger pot. Out of the plug plants into some small pots still, but larger to give them a bit more room. They're starting to produce some of their true leaves. And in fact, I've noticed that this sweet peppers, sown between Christmas and New Year, they have also started to pot on their true seed leaves. So I've looked underneath... And what I can see is that there are some roots starting to show. So that means that over this next week, I'm going to have to pot those up into bigger pots as well. Now, this is a key point because when we sow these seeds and they're small and young, they don't take up much room. But out of a tray of 50 plug plants, there's probably only about six or seven that haven't germinated. Now, if you imagine putting these plants up into little pots, they take up more room. And that's going to continue as they get bigger and bigger. And that's only the sweet peppers. We've got the aubergines. We've got more chilies and more aubergines to follow as well. And as these plants all get bigger and bigger, they're going to need more space. And this is where the second part of the challenge comes in, because we're going to need to find somewhere where they can stay warm, they can continue to grow but they're not going to be in the way. I generally don't put plants into the greenhouse like these, tender plants, until about March, the middle of March, when I feel it is a little bit safe. In fact, if I look at the greenhouse right now, 
Indoors, my house is 20 degrees. The temperature in my greenhouse at the moment is minus 1.2. These plants are not going to like that temperature, so it's important that we keep them in the one. And this is where the second part of this debate, whether it's too early or too late to sow seeds, come into play. A lot of people will sow tomato seeds, for example, during January. And there's a lot of tomato packets that will tell you they can be sown indoors during this time as well. And that is very true. I've done it in the past. I've sown them in January. I've grown them on. But by about March, they are really, really big. They're taking up valuable space indoors. And the greenhouse is just about warm enough for them to get in. So something like tomatoes, I won't sow until the middle of March. And the reason that I do that is that at that time of year, it is safe for them to go outside into the greenhouse and they're not too big. If you've got a heated greenhouse where you're laughing, you haven't really got to worry about the space side of things. You can sow your seeds in January, they can grow big, you can pot them out in your heated greenhouse where they will continue to grow. I think majority of us do not have a heated greenhouse. So there's a lot of seeds that we really don't want to sow until the time is right. But that does bring me to what seeds can we sow in January? Because there's a lot of people who are really itching to sow seeds. And I've been there myself, you know, I've been itching to get growing, itching to get things in the ground, but it is just too early. But at the same time, as you know, I believe that we should all be growing all year round. So what can we sow that will be okay? Well, the things that I have been sowing in January are obviously my sweet peppers, my aubergines and my chilies because they're fairly small. We also have the ability to sow things like asparagus and rhubarb. Now, I sowed both of those very successfully last year. They're growing really nicely and they're going to be going into garden beds later on this year. But I'm going to be repeating that again this year. Rhubarb, asparagus, both grown from seed really, really successfully. Celery, celeriac are good things that we can sow this month as well. Lettuce, providing we get the right type of lettuce, we can sow that, especially if you've got a greenhouse. It might struggle outside, but if you've got a greenhouse, you can pretty much sow lettuce as well. And many other saddle leaves, such as spinach or mustard too. So if you are reaching to get sowing, don't bother with tomatoes or any of the tender crops unless you have got plenty of space or a heated greenhouse. Think of what else you can sow instead. Right, let's go find out what Scott has for us this week in a recipe. I believe it's a celery recipe. Hi, it's Scott here. And one thing I'm determined to successfully grow this year is celery. It's often used as an ingredient in things like sauces and soups, and it's something I use a lot of. But I also like to make celery the star, and use it as the main ingredient, and this recipe does just that. And it is celery braised in cider with a walnut and blue cheese crumb. Eaten with a salad and some good bread, it would make a lovely lunch, or it's great served with roast pork for Sunday lunch. So let's head to the kitchen and hear how it's made. For this recipe, you will need 550 grams of celery separated into sticks, 100 grams of sliced white onion, one clove of garlic crushed, 
150 millilitres of cider, 200 millilitres of vegetable stock, 200 millilitres of double cream, and for the crumb topping, 80 grams of breadcrumbs, 100 grams of chopped walnuts, 40 grams of grated parmesan, and 100 grams of diced Stilton cheese. Method. Start by taking the celery sticks and using a peeler remove the stringy bits by peeling lengthways down the celery along the ridges. Then place them lined up in a baking dish. Now in a saucepan with a little oil start sweating the onions and garlic until soft. Then add the cider and cook for one minute. Then add the stock followed by the cream, season with salt and pepper and bring to a boil. Once boiled, pour the mixture over the celery and cover with tin foil and bake in a preheated oven set at 200 degrees Celsius for about 30 minutes or until the celery is tender. Whilst that's happening, mix together all the ingredients for the crumb topping. After the celery has had its 30 minutes, take it out of the oven and remove the tin foil. Then sprinkle on the crumb topping and return to the oven for a further 15 to 20 minutes or until the top is golden brown and bubbly. And that's the recipe done. And that's it from me this week. Well, I'm down on the allotment today and it has been quite a nice day down here. We spent a few hours tackling quite a few tasks. Now, first of all, I brought some trays down in order to place the potatoes that we harvested last week, the seed potatoes, into trays rather than the flower pots that I had them in, just to make life a little bit easier. I've given them a bit of a wash off as well, just with a bit of water, and these potatoes will just sit in a greenhouse ready to chit. Now chit, I think I said this last week, but chitting is something that many growers will do. I, for one, will always chit my potatoes. They're going to chit anyway, regardless. So I just believe it's best to control it so that we get short, stubby stems instead of long, spindly stems. So, yeah, the potatoes are in there. They're chitting. I've realised that it wasn't that long ago that we harvested our main crop potatoes. And from those harvest potatoes we are actually going to salvage some seed potatoes from there as well, which means we have our main crops, the Sarpo Myra and the Maris Piper potatoes. So, yeah, we're very, very much sorted on potatoes. And that also does mean that we have saved a bit more money than I first worked out. We only have to really buy in a couple of different varieties of potatoes, perhaps Charlotte or something along those lines but we've saved some money, so I'm quite happy we've been able to do that. Now, I've moved up to the top half of the allotment and the area that I've always struggled to try and keep tidy. Last week, I pruned the black currant bush up there and I realised that the gooseberry bush wasn't quite right where it was. This has been something I've been given a lot of thought over this last week and I decided I was going to remove it. So armed with a pair of shears, I cut all the branches off. Gooseberries being quite thorny, you do need some really decent gloves when it comes to moving those stuff around. So armed with the gloves, 
got those all pruned right down until there was just a few little stems coming out the ground. And then I actually dug the roots out. Now I placed all these bits in the compost bin, but what I discovered while I was doing it was there was actually two gooseberry plants in that area. The other one was being hidden by the thornless blackberry a bit, but basically they have now both came out. Now the reason I decided to get rid of these gooseberry bushes, one, they've always been a bit tricky to look after. I inherited these bushes along with a thornless blackberry and a number of other current bushes in that particular area. I've always had trouble when it comes to inherited plants because I never want to get rid of any plants that I feel might be useful. But in hindsight, these were ugly looking plants. They needed a real hard prune. They had some plastic strips that had tangled all the way around a lot of the branches. And because of the blackberry bush, they were just in the wrong area. So I made a decision that they were to go. And I feel a lot happier after making that decision. And now I've done it, I, it looks so much better. It's freed up that space. The blackberry bush has a bit more space to spread its branches. And I'm going to look at getting some stakes in the ground to really sort of train that to be quite nice. Of course, once it was removed, I did go around the ground with a strimmer, just cut the grass, and then I've just placed over more wood mulch, just to make the area look a little bit nicer, but also control the weeds, particularly the couch grass underneath it in this area. Now, eventually the couch grass will grow through. It's not going to stop it completely. But for the time being, it's just a nice little way, I think, of tidying up that area and making it a little bit better. Now after that, I then went to the scruffy area near my compost bins and I had a bit of a tidy up. Now this is alongside my large shed and I've wanted to put another compost bin in this particular area. A couple of years ago, I built a really large compost bin out of some corrugated iron sheets that I had. And that was great. I've got to say that compost bin is absolutely fantastic because it's large, it takes in a lot of material, it gets hot, so it does the job really really well and I do want to build another compost bin of a similar sort of size in that area but it has to also be made out of corrugated iron once again just because I want it to sort of match just look the part well we're not going to be able to get any corrugated iron just yet but one thing I do want to do down the bottom end of the allotment is move my little shed so with this area just tidied up, I then managed to move all my hazel sticks up to this area. Now my hazel sticks, just like bamboo canes, what I tend to do is stick those in pallets that are stood upright. That way the pallets just help keep the bamboo canes or the hazel sticks in a nice tidy organized fashion it works quite well i have to say but you've just got to make sure you've got plenty of pallets for a lot of sticks for me it just looks so much better and it's organized and tidy which is what i really like and best of all that means that the area down by the little shed is now a little bit freer so i can really start leveling that ground and start looking at moving the shed now that's not going to be an easy job at all. What I've got to do is get the pickaxe out, really get that ground levelled, and then we can move the shed. I've got about two to three weeks by when I want to get that done. It's 
it's going to be tough. Well, that is what I have been tackling down here on the allotment this week. So let's head on home and I will meet you back in the podding shed. Well, back in the nice warm podding shed now. And it's that time of week where I set what I call homework. I don't like the term homework, so I'm going to phrase it from now on forward as I'm asking you a question. Now, what I want to know this week is what different types of compost do you use? Now, there is a reason that I'm asking it, but I'll give you a bit more detail about this. So when it comes to seed sowing, I've always used seed sowing compost because it's quite a light, friable compost and it doesn't have many nutrients into it. But as the plants get bigger and potted up, I tend to then just move on to a normal multi-purpose compost. And that's pretty much what I will use for all my plants. There are a couple of exceptions. Cacti compost will be used for cacti, of course. Ericaceous compost for things like blueberries that like a bit of acidity in the soil. But on a whole, multi-purpose compost is what I use. However, the compost that I have been using, and I've noticed this indoors, is becoming full of compost flies. It's not unexpected, after all, we are dealing with green waste material in these peat-free compost, and flies may well be a problem. So I'm thinking about using a queer compost instead. But that's what I want to know from you. What composts are you using for your different plants and why? Let me know by either emailing me, richard at adventuregroundpodcast.co.uk or finding me on social media and leaving me a message or anything like that. Of course, you can head to the website and hit a comment at the bottom of a blog post, or you can also leave a voicemail. Just head to theventuregroundpodcast.co.uk to do that. And of course, please do rate and view and consider becoming a supporting member. Well, that is it for this week. We will be back again next time. So until then, please take care.